0: Hello again, and welcome to episode 20 of In Gear with the Shop. I'm your host Reagan Dickinson, and our guest is Levon Miller, CEO of Firepunk Diesel in Plain City, Ohio, and owner of what may be the fastest diesel drag truck ever. So let's get in gear with Levon to find out the secret of diesel-powered speed and the state of the diesel market from his perspective. Yeah, well, uh, LeVon, let's go ahead and get started and let me know what sparked your interest, pun intended, in diesel and how things have changed since you first got involved.
1: Well, that's a good question because things have definitely evolved a lot in the last 15 years. Uh, but what sparked my interest in diesel initially, uh, my dad bought a 2000 Ram. We were you know, using it on the farm, hauling heavy equipment. Uh, we'd been using a uh, older Ford truck, like a mid-90s with a 351 Ford, and going from the gas truck to the diesel, it was incredible, the difference of the towing power. And while the horsepower rating was, you know, 210 horsepower on the gas truck versus 215 horsepower on the diesel, the diesel made twice the torque. And just being able to, you know, take small inclines and instead of it downshifting, you just roll in the throttle and it uh, makes that torque power and rolls you up the hill at pulling 20,000 pounds. As a teenager, I mean, I was 18 years old at the time, and I was like, this is awesome. I thought that truck had so much horsepower I didn't know what to do with. And uh, <laughs> now you look at those trucks, I jump in one of those 24-valve trucks, and they're extremely slow. So it has evolved a lot. But that is that was my initial taste of diesel power, and I, when I felt it the first time, I wanted more of it.
0: Right. What, what is the state of the industry right now from your point of view?
1: Well, that's uh, the the industry really is growing and it's uh, evolving. Like if you look at our business and our customer base every year. Last year, we had a big growth. Uh, I think the COVID uh, actually helped our business because a lot of the people with that were still had essential jobs, they were still working. A lot of those guys have diesel trucks because they're using them for all kinds of lines of work when it comes to essential business. And then also they had more time last year to tinker with, you know, making horsepower and having fun. So part sales were up, people were modifying their trucks and having a good time with it. There's also this movement for a clean diesel after treatment that is kind of a a looming impact on the diesel industry, I should say. And Mm -hmm. so it's it's keeping everybody as a diesel shop owner, it's keeping our head on a swivel. What can we do to address concerns that are there? and still provide the services that our customer base is asking for.
0: How can shops stay in front of that to make sure that they're ready for whatever changes might be coming around the corner?
1: For us, we're just looking forward. Like, What is coming in 10 years? What's coming in five years? We don't really know exactly how it's gonna evolve, but we wanna keep our head on a swivel and be ready for change. So for us, we're looking at the diesel after treatment systems and realizing that they're here to stay because the emission system, the Clean Air Act, uh, it's being enforced strictly by the EPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we wanna be on the forefront of that and say, hey, look, we're not here to be negligent. We're not here to destroy the environment. We support that. Um, but in the same sense, we wanna look at the after-treatment systems and realizing that that's the major cause of failure in the diesel engine and the newer trucks. And how can we make that after-treatment system better? How can we make the part cost lower because when it costs a guy $5,000 to repair his diesel after-treatment system, but he can remove it and tune the truck for half the money, it's a really hard sell to get, tell him to keep that emission system on the truck. But here at Firepunk, like, we will not remove the emission system because of the pressure that the EPA has put on the whole industry. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to work with the aftermarket companies and figuring out how can we make higher flow DPFs, how can we make the – Uh, Just replacement parts, less expensive, getting certified parts that we can put back on it. It's going to be a stepping stone, like we're kind of in a transition zone right now, uh, because if you go on the internet, everybody uh, always tells everybody to just remove their emission system. But as shop owners, we can't do that. Uh, So we have to try to come up with alternative options to give these customers a good running, uh, long lasting diesel truck that they can still use and keep their emission system in place. What are some of those alternative options? The alternative options are a lot of working with trying to get the cost down on just replacing the parts. Like on my 2019, I've got my full emission system in place and have made over 500 horsepower to the tire with keeping the emission system on it. and I'm about 32,000 miles into it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have to keep the oxygen sensors running. We have to keep all of the systems working and you have to make sure that you're not your soot count is you're not soot loading the system where you're plugging your DPF, so you have to make sure it runs hot enough. So there are there are steps we can take. What what the EPA is saying that we need to go to um, and actually get work with the EPA and get EO numbers on all of the modifications we do, and that is a process that's not easy as of yet. I know there are some people that are in the works, and we also have some connections with uh, some guys that have test facility in Michigan that work directly with the EPA. So we're working with them to try to figure out how can we get these engines on a test bed to where we can put calibrations in it and make sure that our NOx CO2 levels are still within the Cummins white paper. And that way we can sell it without repercussions of the EPA coming in and giving massive fines and putting companies out of business.
0: I gotcha. Okay. so. This is kind of a two-part question, but it's both, they're both related to public relations with consumers. And that is, number one, how can shops educate consumers about what diesel can do for them as a platform, so to speak? And how do we overcome the rolling coal stigma of diesel at the same time?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question because, uh, honestly, what's made diesel so popular is because guys buy a truck and they hook a trailer to it and they tow their camper. Uh, they tow their landscape trailer, they're towing their farm equipment, and they love the truck. And they figure out that they can plug a tuner in this thing and change some of the parameters of the ECM with fuel quantity and timing and rail pressure. And it will significantly increase your truck's responsiveness. I mean, we're, we're seeing almost 200 or 250 horsepower gains sometimes on just ECM calibrations. But to do those max effort changes, it does it no longer meets the emissions requirements at that horsepower level. But that's what's made it so popular in the beginning because guys plug a tuner in, their pet throttle response becomes a lot better. It's not that sluggish; doesn't feel like a dump truck anymore. It feels more like a sports car. And you know, if you can have an eight thousand pound truck and it has five hundred and fifty horsepower, it's fun to drive. And Uh then they have, you know, they can use their truck during the week and use their normal output, still have good reliability. And then Friday night, they can clean the truck up, unhook the trailer and go out on the town and feel young again when they smack on the throttle and wake up and have some fun. So that's what has made the diesel industry, the performance industry grow so much. Uh But in response to that, when you talk about rolling cool, the smoke is unburnt diesel fuel. When you're putting more fuel in the cylinder than what can ignite and burn, it ends up as black smoke. Uh Um, And in a gas car, you don't have that effect. You know, if you go real rich, you can get a little bit of smoke, but you're not polluting it as as heavy, dark. So when it comes to rolling coal, a lot of that comes from the uh, younger crowd that is first coming into diesel. You know, they feel that horsepower torque and they add that horsepower and they're just delighted to have that extra Power, And then with that, they see the black smoke. And coming from myself 15 years ago, I know what my take was on it the first time that I saw a truck with a black cloud. I had no thought process of the repercussions of what that would involve and how that would look to the EPA or the general public or the car behind me. There was no thought process there, and right. really. It was just immaturity. And now coming as, as a business owner and being in the diesel industry and wanting to sustain uh, and make diesels evolve into this clean air environment, there are a lot of steps being taken in the performance world to like on our race truck, we have now have a O2 sensor in the exhaust, and we monitor our air-fuel ratio. So you can take a, a truck that makes 3,000 horsepower, and I can put it flat on the floor, and I'll never get that heavy black smoke. And I, we can run down the track at 3,000 horsepower and be completely clean, and we use plenty of boost and nitrous to make sure that we stay on the lean side of the fuel curve. And now I get everything I want with horsepower without the smoke. And so now it's about educating the population about, hey, you know, if you're going to add fuel quantity to make horsepower, we need to also add the boost or the air, you know, increase turbo to compensate it together so that your air-fuel ratio stays lean. And a lot of that comes in the calibration as well so it can monitor the air-fuel ratio so you can have your throttle response, you can have the additional power without putting smoke output on your tailpipe.
0: Gotcha. Well, tell me about your racetrack. You mentioned it. I'd, I'd like to know more about it.
1: Well, this is a, a project that started out as a, a customer build. originally brought us a S10. Uh, it was an old super stock uh, or pro stock chassis with a gas engine in it that he had bought as a ruler. And he wanted to put a diesel in it. And we were doing the work. We were going to campaign it for the first year and after we campaigned it for the first year we saw how much work it really took to get the thing down the track and long story short we ended up buying it from the customer and this it's kind of evolved over time we've made changes to the chassis here at firepunk we've uh we do a lot of our own fabrication welding and have learned a lot in the uh the race car era as well with this chassis but we worked with uh d and j precision machine they built us a all billet aluminum uh, Cummins platform. So basically, it's the same for and stroke as a 6.7 liter out of a Dodge Ram truck, mm-hmm. uh, but it is it's billet aluminum with uh, a lot more material in the main webbing to keep the crank from blowing out the bottom of it. And it's also got one exhaust port per valve, so it's a 24 valve head, 12 exhaust valves. So like a normal Dodge would have six exhaust ports, this has 12 exhaust ports, so gained almost. The 100 CFM of flow on the exhaust side by doing that. So that is something that we put on the engine dyno. Uh, went through that we worked with extra G performance on the fuel system and we made 3,214 horsepower on the engine dyno. And just a couple of weeks ago we set a record and were the first diesel to go in the three second zone ran a 399 at 182 miles per hour.
0: It, and that really begs a question for me. I always think how can they make it even go faster than that? I mean, how can we go faster? Is that even possible?
1: <laughs> it's it's always possible. I mean, the, the racer in us all, we always want more. Uh, so we always, you know, it's a horsepower versus weight ratio and control. And that's that's where you had asked earlier is how have things changed since I first started in diesel. And yeah. that, that's the biggest change that has happened is we now have control of the horsepower. Like back, you look at, there's guys been sled pulling tractors for years. You know, they've been making that 3,000, 4,000 horsepower with a diesel or with massive turbos, triple turbo setups. But what they lacked was control. And with the electronic fuel systems coming along to where we can leave the starting line at 1,200 horsepower and build a ramp, a nice aggressive curve up to 3000 horsepower and defuel it for shift points or unlock the torque murder during shift points. That's the kind of control that has evolved over time to where we actually can make the horsepower when we want it, when we need it, and get it down the racetrack in a timely fashion. A timely fashion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's and, and now for us to go faster, we look at the chassis that we have, like we were, we had to add a good bit of ballast to the front cause it kept wanting to flip over backwards. And uh, we were 3,090 pounds. Well, when we look at all the other race cars in our class, the class we were racing in earlier, like most of those cars are in the 2,500 pound range. So we're still considerably heavier. And now that we have the billet aluminum engine that our long block weight is very comparable to some of the, like the blower big cubic inch engines, mm-hmm. a new chassis would go us a long you way, know, go a long way for us. Like we still have a, the old fiberglass was this chassis was originally built in year 2000. So it's about 21 years old and the the body is heavy compared to what today's carbon fiber bodies would be. And just the whole chassis is itself, we could build a new chassis with a lot less structure in it that's just as strong and we could save a couple hundred pounds Mm -hmm. so that'll be the next step is if we want to go faster it'll probably involve a new chassis
0: okay (laughs) well my guess is that you're pretty excited about ucc 2021 coming up at uh, lucas Oil raceway I believe that's in may
1: yes yeah we're very excited about that that's always kind of a uh Pretty much if you're involved in diesel motorsports, you're probably going to be at UCC in a vendor booth or you're going to be there competing in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year we joined forces with the ultimate Callout challenge and Firepunk had previously had hosted uh, one of the ODSS points races here in Ohio. But because of still having some COVID restrictions, we decided to join forces with the Ultimate Callout Challenge and actually have a full ODSS points race in with the Ultimate out Challenge to where now guys that come in and they're watching the baddest, fastest trucks in the land, they can also sign up and race uh, at Lucas Oil Raceway and actually compete on Saturday on the racetrack themselves.
0: Okay, gotcha. And so y'all will be very involved in that. You'll race at this event, is that correct?
1: Yes. Yeah, we'll be racing uh, our Pro Mod. And then also a lot of our, my employees also have their own race trucks. So we have, I've got an employee who has a pro street truck. That's the four wheel drive truck that has a very similar power plant to what our two wheel drive Pro Mod does. And then we have all a couple other like almost full weight trucks that are four wheel drive that race in like the 590 index. And then we have also some more street truck style classes that will run in like 770 index or 670 index.
0: That's awesome. And so apparently there's a growing interest in diesel drags and pulls and races. And my question for you is how can shops ride that wave and and kind of take advantage of the, the popularity or the growing popularity of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it is. It's definitely growing. I mean, there's a lot of people who take interest in this. And the thing with a diesel shop, I mean, it's still a business and it really starts with uh, treating your customers right. We focused hard on just doing good, honest business first, because when you take care of the customers that you have, they want to come back and they trust you for your diagnostic and what you recommend them for parts and pieces. Mm-hmm. And so as the industry grows, there's more people that are interested in it. You know, when you go out, and you look at what truck am I going to buy? Am I going to buy a gas truck or I'm going to buy a diesel truck? And if the diesel truck can go 400,000 miles and be semi-reliable, I mean, your diesels are more expensive to maintain just because it's heavier equipment. Mm-hmm. Um, and guys also, you know, like there's, there's this whole... You can't take a diesel truck and make 1,000 horsepower and have it last as long as the one that makes 300 horsepower. So there's that fine line. But guys guys really have the ability to have a truck that they have something that they can drive on the weekends, uh, tow their camper to the campgrounds, and still have reliability. They have the power that they want. They don't feel like they have to buy a Corvette and park it in the garage to get their horsepower fixed. That's where like riding the wave, so to speak, comes in. Mm -hmm. I don't think the shop owners itself, if you can make good, honest recommendations and get guys set up to choose an end goal and build their trucks correctly to where they're not nickel and diming themselves in breakdowns. Because I see a lot of guys who just want to sell them a bigger turbo and bigger injectors. And they don't tell the customer that their transmission is going to fail if they don't upgrade that along with it. You know, when a guy comes into my shop and they want to make 800 horsepower, I'm going to tell them that you're going to have to start with the foundation. You know, you got to do something to your head studs to keep it from blowing a head gasket and you're going to have to address the transmission. Mm-hmm. Those are expensive items that aren't that fun to spend money on because it doesn't make your truck go faster when you spend it. But it sets them up for a foundation that when they do add the horsepower, that it's not going to leave them sitting on the side of the road. Right. Those are important facts in being reputable and treating your customer as if it was your own truck. You know, educating the customer is, is key. Right. What is your best piece of advice?
0: So, you know, one or two pieces of advice for diesel shops.
1: Well, the first thing is just setting yourself up for – protecting yourself as much as possible against being in violation with the EPA honestly okay. is the fir- is the first step because uh-huh. it is a is a big threat what we've done here is we reached out to our local EPA representative and we say hey we're here this is what we're doing we want to do our due diligence to avoid any potential problems or fines acquired and just had an open conversation open the dialogue and say look here this is what we're doing what can we do? What can't we do? And we're just trying to be open and honest and, and compliant with the regulations that are there. Okay.
0: And what is it about the customer experience from your standpoint? I mean, what? I mean, it's one thing, I guess, to say, yeah, we're going to do good, honest business. But I, how do you show it to the customer, I guess, is what I'm after here.
1: That's a good question. But uh, like I have a lot of people, when we come to Firepunk, we we have always been very transparent in what we offer and what we do. So there's not really any secrets to our horsepower recipes. Like you come talk to me about my race truck. I'll tell you exactly every part that's on it. There's no real secrets. Uh Same thing with uh, when customers come in house, often we will do a part install and then we'll put it on our chassis dyno. And during the chassis dyno, I'll show them the data log. And to them, it's just a bunch of lines and scribbles on on a computer screen. and They don't understand it. But I try to explain to them the basics. You know, if I see – rail pressure is commanded at twenty six thousand, but I see the actual rail pressure is you know falling down to twenty three thousand, I can easily show them the comparison. Here's the desired set point, here's the actual set point. And I can see that your fuel pump is going all the way to maximum duty cycle. So I know your CP3 is wide open. So to fix that problem, we either have to go to a bigger CP3 or um, we have to actually turn the fuel injectors back to where your CP3 can keep up. And when you're open and completely transparent with your customer – it earns their trust just in the ability through that education process, they understand a little bit of what you're seeing and you can tell, they can see into it that we're not just selling them parts or recommending a bigger fuel pump to make a profit. We've got their best interest in mind.
0: Gotcha. Well, you know what the music means. Our time is up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I
0: really appreciate your time today. And I think you've you brought a lot of great advice and a lot of inside information into what's working for you. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much.
1: Yes, no problem. It's good to be
0: here. You can subscribe to In Gear with the Shop through your favorite podcast platform, whether it's SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. Please let us know if you have any questions, you'd like our guests to tackle, or if you have any follow-up questions to this episode with Levon. And if you're subscribed to The Shop's daily e-newsletter, you'll know when the latest podcast is available. Plus, you'll stay up to date on the latest in the automotive aftermarket. Just go to theshopmag.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, adios amigos.